Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell, that's Bud Elliott, that's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Big Ten East in the books. Indiana fans, your king Danny Cannell stood for you. So make sure that uh, if you haven't gotten to check that out, it's it's cool. There's there's sort of two ways that you could look at this, right? Either you are a fan of a team in the Big Ten East, or maybe maybe you want to also know about your opponent. So one of the things that's cool about this spring gleaning is that, yes, we are going to give you our thoughts on your team, uh, but also it's a good way to sort of get a survey of the landscape. Look around, see what your division foes, what your cross-division foes, see what's going on with them. Uh, so Big Ten East already posted. Make sure you go download that wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, follow and stream us there. Of course, youtube.com slash cover three for all the goods. Today, we move along to the Big Ten West, and uh, we will be we will begin with the defending Big Ten West champs. Okay, all right, I'm I'm gonna do it. I know I know I did my after the call out. You're, yeah, after the after the call out, I'm shook. All right, so we're gonna start with the uh, Northwestern Wildcats and deserving because they went seven and two overall, six and one in all their Big Ten uh, action. We got to see this Wildcats team uh, be a little bit frisky in that Big Ten championship game. It was kind of exciting, but we we got a lot of exit uh, from this squad. The turnover is uh, is pretty significant, including the you know defensive coordinator that had been there for a long time and really helped build up that group. Only four starters back on the defensive side. Offense losing a ton too. It, it's so cool because at Northwestern, we've got A, one of the most exciting young defenders in the entire country in Brandon Joseph. Dude is an absolute stud. But we also have to replace a lot of those, uh, I guess I'd call them like not to co-opt the Memphis Grizzlies, but a lot of grit, a lot of grindy kind of guys that need to turn over. Real test of the program. So uh, on the offensive side, Ryan Holinsky, shows up. Uh, I don't, I, I've kind of sold my Hunter Johnson stock, but if we've got any uh, boots on the ground that believe that, you know, he can, he can recapture something that made him a highly rated quarterback when he originally signed with Clemson. But what I saw from Hunter Johnson so far suggests that this should be a, a job that Holinsky can win. But I mean, you got to get playmakers at receiver. You got to be able to find ways to, to generate some offense. I know that Pat Fitzgerald wants to win every daggum game 21 to 17, but with all of the turnover on the defensive side, I think Northwestern needs to be able to find some offense. So uh, as Jim O'Neill shows up to take the DC job from Mike Hankwitz, uh, are we expecting this to be, because Northwestern's got two uh, Big Ten West titles, 
but then it's also got like some bottom out that follows right after it. My, my big question is, as we're looking across the, the depth chart, as we're looking across the roster, trying to get our hands around the Northwestern Wildcats, do we assume that this is the drop-off season? Can I start with a stat? Sure. And then I'll, I want to throw it to Tom because I, I know he knows his team well. So I used uh, Draft Finder, w- which we get through CBS for like stat reference or pro football reference or whatever it is. Whatever they're calling it now. Yeah. <laughs> Northwestern has never, as far as I could tell, had two picks in the top 35, right? This year, a lot of these mock drafts are projecting them to potentially have two first rounders and definitely you know, a first rounder and, and a second rounder. Like they've not even had a top 35. They haven't even had a top 35 pick period since 2005. Now they might have two in the same draft. I, I just think it's important to state, like we're, we're going to talk about how much they lose and how they're a zoom out team. If like, like, you know, like my, my term, if you have to zoom out a whole bunch on the graphic you made, cause they're just, they stand out so damn much compared to their competition as far as the experience they bring back. But they also don't typically lose difference makers like this because Northwestern does not produce NF, like high level NFL talent like this. So this is not a normal, you know, situation. And I think this is a team that normally wins based on not making mistakes and being experienced and having a lot of guys who are fourth and fifth year dudes. In fact, this is the first time that the DB they're losing, they've never had a guy go three and out at Northwestern. This is the first time under Pat Fitzgerald that it's happening. So like this is some circumstances that are just a little bit weird. I, I, I fell down that rabbit hole this morning, and I'll, I'll throw it to Tom. I will say one of the two players that is gone and will be a first-round pick did not play last year. He opted right. out of Slater. the season. So Yeah, so Slater didn't play last year. So losing him is huge, I think, but I thought it was losing, I thought losing him was huge before last season, too, and it didn't really have a huge impact on him. Uh, I do think that this is going to be a very interesting spring, and it's going to be a very interesting – I don't know if test is the right word, but – it could be a test of the program that Pat Fitzgerald has built because like you were just going over, but there's, they're losing a lot of key players and it's the kind of talent that they haven't really had. They've had NFL draft picks in recent years, but they, they don't have guys who are projected in the first round. And it's like, you know, I, I did my mock yesterday and I had Slater in the top 10 and I had Greg Newsom going, I think at 19 or 18, somewhere in that range. So they're two very good players. And but that's not all they're losing. And then they're losing Mike Hankwitz, who has been the defensive coordinator there, who, you know, in Northwestern has had very strong defenses year after year after year, and he's been there forever. So now in the last couple of years, we've seen Mike Bajakian come in as a new offensive coordinator. This year, O'Brien's coming in as a new defensive coordinator. There's a whole lot of change on the roster as far as key players moving on. You're going to have a new athletic director as, you know, the Jim Phillips, the athletic director at Northwestern has moved on to take over the commissioner job at, in the ACC. So like there's, there's a lot going on at Northwestern this off season that they're not used to dealing with. And there's a lot of change and a lot of transition. And I don't think we're going to see Northwestern crater, but we've seen in years prior where this is a program that will cycle up for a year, win 10 games, win a division or come close to winning the division. And then maybe the next year they drop back more in that six and six, seven and five range. And then they cycle back up. So I wouldn't be surprised to see this team take a step back just based on a combination of everything that they're losing and looking around the rest of the division and seeing what some of the teams are getting back, including Wisconsin we'll get to later, but Wisconsin's got a ton coming back. So I feel like that's going to be a good thing for them. So, I, th- I think we're going to see a step backward. I think a division title is probably not in the cards this year, but then again, it is Northwestern and they do tend to overdo the expectations. So for me this spring, 
I think it's just about getting to know the new defense, new defensive scheme, seeing if it's really going to be that drastic of a change from what they were doing. I'm assuming not. I think that Pat Fitzgerald is probably looking for somebody who could, you know, do similar things. So there's not a big change. I think Ryan Helinski coming in. I, I chip, I'm with you on Johnson. I, I think that if it was there, we'd have seen it by now. I don't think we'd have seen them take Peyton Ramsey as a transfer last year. And then Helinski as a transfer this year, if they were incredibly confident in Johnson's ability to take that starting job and win that starting job and be able to win with him. So I think that there's definitely a quarterback competition this spring. I just don't know how open that competition truly is. I think Helinski's there to be the starter in 2021. I'm with you on Helinski, especially seeing what you saw from him, his freshman season at South Carolina. Um, and then, you know, Bobo comes in, brings his guy with him who knows the system uh, in Collin Hill at South Carolina. It's one of those transfers where you're like, okay, it just makes sense. He's going to play, for, you know, he's going to look for an opportunity to play. I think he steps in and plays. The defensive side of the coordinator switch, it's kind of one of those deals where you've got the head coach with defensive minded, you know, playing career, defensive minded coach where you're not as concerned because he'll kind of be more involved with that in Pat Fitzgerald. Um, I think this is a program, though, not only the couple first-round picks, but having up to seven potential draft picks overall in this year's draft speaks to the better job they're doing of evaluating and developing talent. So I think like we always – I think it used to be kind of Wisconsin. We'd overlook in the Big Ten. I think no one's overlooking Northwestern in the Big Ten as a whole, but in the West – when you see division winners picked every single season, I don't think many people are going to pick Northwestern. And I wouldn't either this year, except I wouldn't be really shocked if late in the season they're in the mix. But I think this is sort of, and we'll get to Wisconsin uh, in a little bit. It feels like this is kind of their year. But I think it's a testament to Pat Fitzgerald and the job that he's done building up, uh, you know, a, a consistent winner. I mean, it's it's really a phenomenal. I think he's one of the top coaches in the game today at one of the tougher places to win. Since 2015, uh, this Northwestern program has been to a bowl game five times in those six seasons. They've won four of those five bowl games. They finished in the top 25 four times 10 win season in 2015, 10 win season in 2017, nine wins in 2018, and of course the division titles in 2018 and 2020. I think that 65 to 70%, if not more, of Power Five schools would trade what they've been getting in terms of results and production for that. Like that is a, that is without a doubt where you want to be. Um, yeah, I'd, it was nine. In, so they went division title. Then they just won one big 10 game, one and eight, then back to the division title. But uh, to, to actually, you know, look at it from a bigger picture point of view. And obviously since Pat Fitzgerald's been there since 2006, uh, I think you've got to do that. A total cratering, you know, maybe, maybe Danny, to your point, Northwestern deserves the respect to not assume that they're just going to be falling off the deep end right here, but uh, should be very, very interesting as we continue to look ahead. And a good little factoid that you dropped there, Chip, for our listeners to keep in mind come bowl season next year, Northwestern is a great bet during bowl season. There's always the question of teams that are going to show up and don't care and don't want to be there. Northwestern always wants to be there. <laughs> and they are consistently beating their season win totals. Mm-hmm. Like not like 80%, but like that Fitzgerald routinely outperforms that. I, I had to do our, our projecting the season win totals for 24-7 uh, 
And my number said five. And I'm like, oh, hell no. Like, I'm, I'm bumping this up like at least a half win, uh, like, like to set the Vegas odds. But I, I do have some real concerns, right? I'm not sold on Ryan Holinsky. Uh, I don't think Hunter Johnson can play. And Peyton Ramsey wasn't even good last year, right? If you look at his adjusted yards per attempt, it's five, like 5.0. Mm-hmm. And yesterday on, on the Big Ten East show, we spoke about you kind, you kind of got to throw out that first game for Maryland, right? Because mm-hmm. they didn't hit. They just they looked like the team did, didn't prepare at all, and the rest of their results were drastically different. You kind of got to do the same thing, guys, for, for Northwestern because they were the team that Maryland played. Their point totals. They dropped 43 on Maryland. We're like, oh, my God, Mike Pajaki in this offense, right? Like, wow. Next games, 21, 21, 27, 17, 20, 28, 10, and then the bowl game. So, like, 93rd in SP Plus offense. And if this team doesn't have the talent advantage, they usually have the experience advantage, but now they don't. They're the least experienced team in the Big Ten by a lot. And so that concerns me. It's like, okay, wait. Like, it's almost like when Wake Forest has those really young teams. Like, okay, this is this is not maybe a bet on year for them, but it still scares me to not take them to make a bowl game. Yeah, they they had a serious lack of explosiveness in that offense. And I know that one of the kids yeah. that they've got coming in, a freshman, a, he was a high three star or low four star, but a receiver out of Alabama, Jordan Mosley, with like you know track speed. They're hoping that if he, they're hoping he's able to play this year to get on the field because they could really use that speed because they first of all they lose a ton at receiver most of the leading receivers are gone but I just think that he's the kind of playmaker that they were sorely lacking on offense so they're hoping he can get in there and be ready to play this fall and play a big role the Iowa Hawkeyes fascinating team within the context of the Big Ten I say that because they won their last six games they start 0-2 but it's a four-point loss to Purdue and then a 21-20 loss to Northwestern. And that loss to Northwestern ended up being what kept Iowa from being able to play for a Big Ten title. Now, I, I don't know if Iowa would have made any difference with the Ohio State, and especially the way that Trey Sermon was running the ball behind that offensive line in that Big Ten championship game. But I think the point remains that the Hawkeyes feel good about the way they finished the season. They, are, they get the, the win against Wisconsin. They've got the win against Penn State. And so we look at the Hawkeyes as though they've got a little bit of, you know, a little bit of juice, a little bit of reasons to hang on to like, hey, you know, let's let's go make a run at the Big Ten West title. Now, uh, some some new faces, particularly because we're losing Chauncey Golston. We're losing Davion Nixon. I mean, we're losing elite defensive linemen. Uh, Zach Van Valkenburg is going to be a super senior, so we'll have him back. But all of those other positions on the defensive line are up for grabs. I think the competition along the defensive line is so important because that defensive line was so key to a lot of Iowa's success. We always talk about the quarterbacks. Uh, Spencer Petras had a good finish to the season, started to come on a little bit late, but I... I don't know if I've got him marked as uh, I've got him marked as an important player, but I don't know if I've got him marked as a player that I have very high expectations for. And some of that might be just even within the context of the offense, which also is going to be replacing about half of its starters. So defensively on the back end of the defense, they do have some returning players and key contributors up front. A lot of people need to step up uh, to join Van Valkenburg if they're going to continue to be an Iowa defense that gets a lot of sacks, gets a lot of tackles for loss. But it is uh, it is a year that I think that you look at Iowa and you have to consider them um, you know, 
right there in the mix uh, for a Big Ten West title. So is it defensive line? Is it the quarterback position? It's the offense? What's really um, got y'all's attention when it comes to the Hawkeyes? I think everything you just mentioned is important. I think the defensive line is definitely going to be an area of interest to follow. But at the same time, I do have some confidence there just because we've seen Iowa replace their defensive linemen before and bring in guys that maybe you didn't hear of that weren't highly rated recruits and they develop them. But of course, they've had some changes to their strength and conditioning program in the last year, which we'll see how that impacts them going forward. But one of the things to me, I I think Spencer Peters played well. I think he looked like an Iowa quarterback, but I, I, I think when I watched him play, he looked he looked like every other Iowa quarterback I've seen. But I saw flashes of maybe somebody like a little bit more than that, like not just a game manager type. But I wonder if in his first year as the starter, if not having the spring practice and all that kind of no non-conference games, how that really impacted him. But one thing that kind of stood out to me last year when I was watching Iowa and I'm grading them on a curve because I'm, I'm grading them based on previous Iowa teams. I thought that offensive line last year for an Iowa offensive line was pretty mediocre. Mm. Like it, it wasn't, I, I don't think it was a bad offensive line. I think it was probably still one of the top half of the big 10 and it was probably still about, you know, the top half of the country. It's just from what I'm typically used to seeing from an Iowa offensive line, that's just typically sending, you know, like this had first round draft picks in recent years and is continuously sending guys to the NFL. And I think Eric Jackson will probably be an NFL draft pick this year too, from that line. But it just overall, the unit to me did not seem as strong. I think it really hurt them in their run game. I think that really hurt their offense. They weren't really able to get a ton of push, I thought, up front most of the time. And I, I think that's going to be a key thing, too, because I feel like just the way that Iowa plays, if their offensive line isn't winning the battle most of the time and getting push off the ball in the run game and, you know, pass protection, of course. But I, I just think if they're not being if they're not out physically their opponent and at times last year, I thought they were being out physical. It's hard for Iowa to win the way Iowa intends to play. So for me, that's going to be something an area of interest for me watching the Hawkeyes this spring. If I'm paying attention to practice, I want to see that offensive line. We've got some young and experienced guys on the defensive line. I want to see my OL knocking those dudes on their ass. I think there's some numbers to really support what Tom's saying here, too. I was digging on it as you said that. I mean, their top rusher, Tyler Goodson, was stuffed 22% of the time. Yeah. That's not Iowa, right? I'm a little bit concerned about, about Spencer Petras, to be honest. And, and the main thing I'm concerned about is, is the big misses, right? And I don't love some of the Sports Info Solutions stats we get. Like, I don't know who's doing the grading, but I think they're generally probably better than, than not, right? 68% catchable balls. Think like flip that. That's thirty-two percent uncatchable balls. That's a really high rate, man. Like that. That's just me, a guy that has some really bad misses. He's got to get it somewhere in the vicinity, and especially this year because I, I have major concerns about what the Hawkeyes lose at the receiver position. Right? They they lose Smith Marset. They lose Brandon Smith. Those guys had forty-eight catches. The rest of their receivers combined had 32, 33. So when they're losing more than half of their catches, a, a really good chunk of their yards, um, that's concerning about where this passing offense is going. That, that's kind of my, my main thing here. I love what Tom said about the quarterbacks. Like he, he does, Spencer Petras does just look like an Iowa quarterback. Mm-hmm. I, and it's so, but like, I think that's, that can be a knock, but it can also be a good thing. Like they've won with, very Big Ten kind of style quarterbacks. They very clearly have an identity of what they want to be. Um, 
I think that I thought this year that it was a rough offseason for Iowa, right? There were all the allegations against Kirk Ferentz and his staff. Chris Doyle, uh, you know, the, gets fired. They have, you know, um, they oust him. Um, but I do think one thing that I think would be concerning is Chris Doyle, love him or hate him or, you know, whatever he did was awful. Got a lot of guys to peak performance, you know, and that's the strength coach I think is one of the most underrated positions on um, college football coaching staffs. I mean, go ask Urban Meyer about what he thinks about the coaching, you know, the strength and conditioning coach. I mean, you're talking about players at the most critical time of their lives. When you go to college, you're, that's when you're maturing and you can develop players into NFL type talents. And Iowa has been a place that consistently churned out really, really good college offensive linemen in some cases NFL offensive linemen so I do wonder like the job of replacing Chris Doyle how that's going and if that was a reason why the offensive line wasn't as good now in one season probably not enough time for that drop off to occur if you just youth and experience but I was actually really impressed with Iowa's job because after 0-2 you're thinking this season could go one of two different ways and I actually thought it was going to go completely downhill but then for them to kind of keep continuing back and to win out I thought was really impressive so I still I think the season will be interesting I think the identity thing is great because you know what you are you know what you want to be um but I still think it's Wisconsin here like, mm. I still think with the talent returning. And I think I think Iowa's always going to be right in the mix, and they'll probably be there again. But I just don't think this is their year. There have been some legendary two-sport athletes at Florida State. Deion Sanders, Charlie Ward, and that's just to name a few. Oh, yeah, and our very own Danny Cannell. Oh, yeah, and, and Jameis Winston is another Seminole drafted in two sports, and he spoke about his passion for both football and baseball on this week's episode of All Things Covered with Patrick Peterson and Bryant McFadden. During their hour-long conversation, Jameis also discusses why he picked FSU over Alabama and Auburn, why the 2013 FSU title team gets overlooked, Oh, and the best college quarterbacks of this century. Follow All Things Covered wherever you find this podcast. That's All Things Covered with Patrick Peterson and Brian McFadden. Go check out their hour-long discussion with James Winston when you finish listening to this. The Wisconsin Badgers, 4-3 and three last season. Wild season, right? You know, come out. Friday night, first Big Ten game, Graham Mertz is cooking. I mean, we're looking to pass. We're slinging it around. Holy cow, what's going on here? And then Graham Mertz tests positive for COVID-19. And then we got to put the program on pause. I mean, when we talk about programs that were disjointed in the season and dealing with player availability issues in the Big Ten, we seem to see some of our most dramatic instances of that, particularly as they tried to play nine games in nine weeks with no room for any kind of rescheduling. Well, that three and three Big Ten schedule for Wisconsin certainly uh, was a big part of it. Now, from that group, they bring back... uh, 15 starters, seven on offense, eight on defense, and Graham Mertz is the story of the offense, right? Like we're, we feel like if, uh, you know, Paul Christ, former Wisconsin offensive coordinator, Joe Rudolph, the quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator, that 
when they put that out there on display in the opener, it's almost like this is what we would like to do. This is, you know, when we've got a player with the tools, this is something that we would like to flex to really be able to bring some balance, uh, not just as a ground and pound offense. Defensively, uh, you know, I think that you can't say losing Isaiah Loudermilk doesn't matter or, you know, Garrett Rand. Like these, these are good players. These are really good players, but I kind of feel like we've got some of this same like program checklist kind of uh, development where because you've proven it year after year, you bring back a lot of starters, you've got great coaching and the program development's been there. I, I kind of think that defensively they're going to be up. Um, like Danny, it, you say it's Wisconsin's year. So I guess like, let me, let me hear it. What's, what's exciting you? What are the questions that you really want to have answered? Uh, I think, I guess I need to offer a question. I'd like to see, I think offensive line, they've got some some reworking that they need to do up there, but that's not anything huge. Again, program kind of feels like I'll, I'll give them a check mark on that. I totally agree. Uh, I think with the way the defense has improved under Leonard on the defensive side of the ball has been phenomenal. I think they fly around. I think they're physical. Um, I think they're a physical attacking style of offense or excuse me, defense. And I think the, I think the offense Clearly, we got ahead of our, you know, out of our ahead of our skis a little bit uh, with the opening performance uh, this past season between Graham Mertz and, and I remember saying on this podcast that was the most athletic playmaker, difference maker at quarterback we've seen since Russell Wilson was there. And while it was a little bit hot takey, maybe a little bit, a little bit too early of a knee jerk reaction, it still does look like from the glimpses you saw from him that it could be that still, and he's still young. Um, and the season was a little bit up and down. I didn't, I was getting a little bit worried about maturity um, of Graham Mertz. It's a little bit of the Baker Mayfield kind of cockiness come out, which you don't expect out of Wisconsin quarterback either, but that can be a good thing. As long as you kind of toe that line, that. just yeah. the right spot. I mean, he's from Overland Park, Kansas. He got it from Dennis Dodd, right? Like, I mean, he's, he, he got it. He got it from the Prince of Overland Park, D-O-Double-D. Uh, you think he emails like Dennis? Guy, right? <laughs> they're, they're the off-season workout buddies. Oh, I was going to spit take out of Tom. Mertz. Yeah. Mertz. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Danny, my bad. I, I... No, no, but I, I, I think this is the team to beat uh, from this side. I, I, this is a Wisconsin year. I, I, I'm going into the spring convinced I, when we get to the fall and we're making our predictions, I'm going to be picking Wisconsin. Nothing's going to be getting me off of Wisconsin because I think that 2020 was a Wisconsin year. And I think that Wisconsin season got completely upended by COVID. And I don't think Graham Mertz was the kid we saw in the Illinois game. But I don't. I, I think he's closer to that than the kid who struggled in other games. I think he's closer to being one of the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten than he is just being your average Wisconsin quarterback. The kid's got a ton of talent, and I think that having a full offseason of spring and all that stuff, getting ready for a season will help there. I do think that my concern with the Wisconsin offense is the receiver position because I just don't know how many truly like game changers they have at that spot. I think Jake Ferguson is nice at tight end, and I think he's a matchup problem for a lot of defenses, and I think that's a good thing for them to have up the seams. But I'd like I'd like to see a big play receiver emerge from the outside, somebody they could take advantage of with Mertz's arm because he has that kind of arm to be able to do it. 
Uh, offensively, their offensive line wasn't good last year, not for Wisconsin offensive line. And I don't know if that was just the talent wise or if it was just, you know, again, COVID completely turning things on its head. I, I'm leaning towards COVID, but even so, like Chip, you mentioned you were concerned about the offensive line, but you're not worried about the development. They don't have to do as much developing these days. If I don't know if you've seen Wisconsin's latest recruiting class for the 2020 class. Oh, they're all six, five, three, twenty. Yeah, but yeah. I'm saying they've got Nolan Rucci, a five-star offensive tackle, the number 15 player in the class. They've got J.P. Penn-Schwazel, or Shawl, another four-star offensive tackle. Riley Malman, another four-star offensive tackle. They've got T.J. Bowlers coming in, a four-star defensive end. Wisconsin has really kind of, I think that is the one thing that Paul Christ has changed since he took over the program and has made it his. And I think, obviously, Wisconsin's sustained success has played a role in it, too. But, you know, during the Alvarez-Bielema era, they were getting four stars, but then they, they were still, it was mostly culture, program, develop. Paul Christ is kind of stepping it up. They're bringing in higher-rated guys. Like, if you go up and down their roster, I mean, there's not as many five stars as you're going to find in an SEC team, but there are some, and that wasn't always the case. But there are a lot more four-star recruits you're seeing populating their roster than you typically used to seeing from Wisconsin. So the ceiling is improving. And when you look around the West and you look at the way Wisconsin is recruited compared to the rest of the division, it's not like an Ohio State situation in the East. But I could see a gap kind of starting to form between the Badgers and the rest of the division. And I look at this roster that they have going into 2021, and I look at the talent that they have at the quarterback position. And I just, I think this is going to be a really good Wisconsin team. If they win fewer than 10 games, I'll be shocked. Okay. Wisconsin, like this is way early to do this, but let's, let's fill out the bet sheet. Does anybody want to take Wisconsin over the rest of the divi- over the rest of the division? Are they odds on to you guys? Yes, I think it's clear. Don't you think Vegas would have the same too? I'll I'll take the rest of the division. Right. Oh, you're saying the field? I got you. Yeah, I'll t- I'll take the field over Wisconsin. I, I I think I think it's a tremendous compliment that we're even considering it. Right. I mean, like, yeah, like that, I, that's that's like a level of respect that's given to Ohio State, basically. I mean, I just I, I, I yeah, I, that's kind of how, like I said, it's just when you look at the talent gap, because I think the talent gap between them is widening between everybody else in the division. Like Iowa had a good recruiting class. It was a top 25 class in 2021. But, you know, Wisconsin's in the top 15. And that's typically where we see Penn State, Michigan and Ohio State living, not Wisconsin. Wisconsin has tended to always be like the mid 20s, upper 30s kind of national recruiting class. And they've really kind of, I think, taken a step forward in recent years. And I think the rest of the division has kind of taken a slight step backward in some key spots. So like Nebraska is not recruiting like Nebraska typically did, although they're still recruiting pretty well. But it's I just don't see 2021 being a year like when you can combine that with what we talked about with Northwestern, with everybody that they've lost and the, the questions at Iowa. I just I don't see like things could go wrong and they could lose a division. I'm not guaranteeing it, Isla, but I will take that. I take that bet, Wisconsin over the field. But I just I don't see a whole lot of scenarios in which the Badgers screw up enough to not win the division, unless they are just completely beset by injuries or a new strand of COVID that we don't know about yet. It's good. And uh, yeah, their 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 best two recruiting classes in the program's history are the last two years. Mm-hmm. So like, like to your point, like there's been a noticeable uptick. I, I don't have a whole lot of questions about this team. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll take the field uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll take the chaos it, against Tom. Danny, I assume you want in on that too. Yeah, I'll take that. All right. We'll put that on the sheet. Chip, you in on that? Nah. Okay. I'm not going, not going three <laughs> wide here. Um, I, I have a little bit of concern about something Tom said, which the, the playmakers just didn't look special to me. 
right? And Wisconsin's usually get pretty good at spraying guys in space. Last year, they weren't quite as good at, at getting these guys you know, that, that open. Uh, and when they didn't get them that open, these guys just they didn't get you anything extra. There was nothing special about them, right? And I, usually they have at least one dude who can make somebody miss or, or make somebody, you know, just make a big play. Last year, they, they really struggled, you know, in that area. Um, defensively, I, I really only worry about corner. And yeah. Jim Leonard's done such a good job that, that I feel like like they'll be able to replace that. They were number four in defensive SP Plus last year. They get Sanborn back, who, who was a, a major Havoc guy. Safety might be a little bit of a concern, but again, I think the back end is schemed very well. They don't give up a whole lot of big plays usually. Um, last year was a little bit of an anomaly. I'm I'm pretty in on this team, but I'm still going to take the field as of now. Yeah, Jim, Jim Leonard does a really good job of mixing things up, confusing quarterbacks, creating chaos with his front seven. And it takes a lot of the weight off of that secondary because they tend to not have to cover very long because most quarterbacks are getting the ball out of there as quick as possible before some rush end comes and crushes them. If you follow like scheme nerd Twitter, they're all over Jim Leonard, like always like, Oh, oh look God. at this new thing he's doing. Like, look, mm-hmm. look, look how he tricked this, you know, this college QB and in, in, in misreading the RPO here. It's, it's, it's pretty neat. It's why he was very much on my list of Illinois coaching candidates when the job was open. <laughs> Speaking of, coming up on the other side, we're rowing the boat with P.J. Fleck. We got year four with Scott Frost and not a single winning season. And Burt's back in the big plus. Purdue, boiler up, next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Madness is in full swing, and the Eye on College Basketball podcast is your audio guide for the entire NCAA tournament. Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander will continue to provide breakdowns and daily recaps as we enter the second weekend of the tourney. If you want the best March Madness analysis, follow the Eye on College Basketball podcast wherever you get cover three. So continuing with our uh, orderly um, process as I was once again shamed in the Big Ten East. Minnesota went three and four last season. Now, as we look ahead to spring and as we try to think about what's going to happen in 21, like I, they, they're sitting here with a group that again, like we, we talked about Kirk Shiraka, who by the way, just showed up as a, as an analyst, right? Mm -hmm. Just at West Virginia, at West Virginia, um, 2019 cooking. Absolutely cooking. Rashad Bateman, Tyler Johnson, Tanner Morgan, Muhammad Ibrahim. Then last year, offense kind of struggled a little bit. Now, Tanner Morgan is back. Muhammad Ibrahim is back. The offensive line from last season, mostly like back up, back together. Now you lose Rashad Bateman, and so being able to to you know get some playmakers to step up on the outside it's going to be difficult. You're not going to be able to replace somebody of that skill level uh, so easily. But when you look at sort of from the inside out um, quarterback offensive line and such, man, this, 
this should be an offense that is able to regain some of its form. Now, on the, on the defensive side of the ball for Minnesota, because we spent all of our win totals time being like, all right, Here's the deal. Minnesota's defense was bad in 2019, but they're all back. And the coaches are telling the reporters that they like the development and they like the steps they're taking. Well, here's the deal. Minnesota went from giving up 5.1 yards per play with that young defense. Then after all that development and the coaches telling the reporters they were excited about the future, those very same players gave up 6.9. So nearly two yards per play more given up by the Golden Gophers defense. And good news, Minnesota fans, those same human beings, many of them are also back for the upcoming season. So, um, yeah, all of my questions and concerns are on whether or not we can believe the Minnesota coaches when they're talking about the uh, the positivity and the development that they've got on the defensive side of the ball. I think they should be able to score uh, at a better clip than they did last year. And and defensively, they just they got to get better if they want to be able to escape. What I think is, um, what I, what I think is like a general high floor proposition. You know, we're, we're going to spend a lot of time this offseason talking about specific predictions, but. I, I like where Minnesota's at. I also think it's got a low ceiling right now as long as they are that vulnerable on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, it's it's hard to win when you can't get off of the football field. <laughs> I mean, this is another situation that's similar to Wisconsin to me. For I, Minnesota dealt with so much, like, players missing for COVID. They, they lost a lot of guys. Like, I can't remember what it was, the exact numbers, but I remember when they opened the season against Michigan, I know they were missing like three offensive line starters. They were missing a bunch of key players from their front seven. And they, we didn't even just, know it till kickoff. Yeah, they were without a <laughs> lot of... live betting. Yeah, they were, exactly. <laughs> they were without a lot of key players in key situations that kind of made it hard to really... Like, those numbers are awful. But I don't know how you know, how accurate they are of a depiction of the actual talent on that team. If it's at full strength last year, and I feel like the same way on offensively, but I just, I I don't know because of that. It's really hard for me to get a good read on this Gophers team. Cause I was really high on it going into last season before the crap hit the fan and everything blew apart. But this year I'm just kind of in a, I, I don't know. I, I worry about replacing Rashad Bateman who I still think had somewhat of a down season last year, but I don't really put that on him as much as everything that was going on around him. And I think that that is not an easy person to replace. I know Chris Ottman-Bell is there. He will step up and play a larger role, but I don't. I, I like Chris Ottman-Bell. I don't know if I like him as much as I, I liked Rashad Bateman, so there's going to be an impact. I think they're going to be able to run the ball because they were able to run the ball last year, and P.J. Fleck teams tend to always be able to run the ball, and Muhammad Ibrahim had a big season for them last year, so I don't think that's going to change. So I think offensively, they're still going to be solid. I still think the question is on defense, any improvement there. They do have one kid on the defensive line, Boye Mafe, who I absolutely love. He's one of my favorite players in the country to watch. He's just kind of like a freak athlete at the defensive end position. I think that's a good start. I think he needs to take a step forward and play a bigger role in that defense and have larger impact. And if he does, I think that will help the rest of the defense overall. So that's one thing I'm going to be watching this spring. It's just, it's, I, I think offensive line wise, they've got some dudes. They've I think PJ's recruited well on the offensive line, and I think they've done some developing. It's just a lot of it was with COVID last year, losing a lot of those guys. I think a full season together, if they could stay healthy, that will improve things. So there's just a lot of questions about this team. And it's one of those situations where it's hard to know what's going to happen because 
it's like a situation where if everything goes right, this might not be a Minnesota team that's all that different from what we saw in 2019. But if everything goes wrong, this is a team that could win three or four games, or if everything falls somewhere in the middle, probably seven, eight win team. I, I, uh, I think it's important to remember what, what, what Tom said there about like the context of when some of these, these points and yards were given up, right? They, they were missing those guys primarily for the first two games of the year, right? And so against Michigan, they gave up 8.6 yards of play, and that Michigan mm-hmm. offense was not any good. So I think it's fair to assume that a decent bit of that was related to Minnesota's COVID struggles then and injury struggles as well. Then Maryland, they had most of those guys out still, I believe, right? And mm-hmm. they gave up 675 <laughs> yards to Maryland, which we were like, wait a second. That was the most confusing result of the year because Maryland had just looked like trash the week before against Northwestern. Right. After that, they were merely, I would say, like below average. You know, R- Rondell Moore and those guys tore them up a little bit, but like they were mostly fine against like Illinois, Iowa-ish, Nebraska, Wisconsin. Like they, they were they were okay. I'm, I'm a little bit higher on this defense, I think, than – some of the projection metrics are. Uh, I like some of their talent. Tom mentioned Boye. Uh, there, there's a line. I, I think their linebacker play is going to be very improved because I know that that uh, James Gordon from Florida is a real talent if he can learn the defense a little better. But if he can't even get on the field, that says to, something to me about the guys who are on the field, you know, taking steps. I generally am pretty confident in PJ Fleck teams developing receivers. It seems like everywhere he's gone, he's done a good job with having receivers emerge. Ibrahim's back. Morgan's fine. I don't think he's like this no doubt NFL stud type that people were kind of hyping to be last year. Um, my concern is you were yeah, you loved I him had, that much. I in my early mock last spring, I had Morgan as like the last pick of the first round kind That's of QB, right. and then he I got dragged all fall because of the way he was playing, and he did play like crap. I still think there's some of that there. I think his accuracy was just completely gone, and that was the one reason why I had him pegged as a possible NFL QB was because in 2019 he was very accurate. He was very good with the ball, putting it in all the right spots, and that just was not there last year. Tools wise, I I don't know. Just see him as a recruit. I, I just I didn't. I don't know. He didn't, he didn't pop for me like that, but guys do do grow and, and obviously get better in college. Uh, <laughs> as as uh, as somebody is about to assassinate Chip, it looks like. <laughs> no, this is um, Adam. He's the appraiser. Got okay. it. Nice. <laughs> uh, so, my real concern here is is Mike Sanford. I thought it was an odd choice uh, to to replace Soraka, and uh, his track record of offenses is really not very good. He keeps bouncing around and getting jobs, and maybe I'll maybe I'll look like a dummy for this the statement but i'm just i don't i don't get it so isn't he a mike sanford jr yeah i think so like there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces here man they think this whole offensive line is going to be like very good a couple of these guys are me nfl guys this is sort of a now or never year for sanford i think so what i think i hear you guys all saying because i watch a lot of crew during the olympics when you see those crew teams rowing if there's like one little guy who's off it just throws us, throws them down. But if everybody's rowing the boat the same way, they get it all in sync, <laughs> then they get going. I think that's what I hear you guys saying, and I see why. Um, I think this team is one of those – I'm more on the lines with Tom, like I don't know what I'm going to get. I am concerned because Rashad Bateman and studying some film for him for draft lead-up, like the dude is a baller. He's one of – like we're always looking around at different teams and we're like – 
man, who's going to be the guy? You didn't have to look very far. When you popped on the tape in Minnesota, you saw Rashad Bateman stick out. And that, and, and every defensive coordinator does too. So when they're watching, they're starting to adjust things and it starts to open up other opportunities. And it also makes it a heck of a lot easier for Tanner Morgan uh, to have as much success as he did two years ago. And he, Rashad Bateman still had a pretty good season this year. Tanner Morgan did not, but I think they just got exposed a little bit more because their defense was so bad. I mean, remember when we thought Mi- Michigan, like, oh, Joe Milton looks great. Like, man, this maybe this is Harbaugh's year. And it was because they beat Minnesota, and then we couldn't have been more wrong. Um, and I think Chip summed it up, too. It's like that dilemma of that returning starter stat, which we all reference, and I think we should, but it's the age-old debate. Well, what if those starters weren't <laughs> any good? You know, and that's the defensive side of the ball for Minnesota. So I feel like I don't know, like in their development, I um, were, I covered uh, Sanford when he was at Western Kentucky, and that was a disaster. Like you talk about a disaster as the head coach uh, when he was there. It was not pretty. So I'm a little bit tentative too uh, about the offense and just trusting Tanner Morgan to get on track. But – you know, there is some experience returning if they can get back. I just like this would probably I like if if well if I'm all in on Wisconsin winning the division, I'm probably looking at Iowa as the next best contender. And then Minnesota might be in that third best kind of spot. Like, eh, maybe. But I could also see it being another subpar season, too. The Nebraska Cornhuskers, three and five last season. I mentioned it before the break. This is year four for Scott Frost, and we have not had a winning season. This is year four for Adrian Martinez, and after people put him top 10 on the Heisman odds board going into his sophomore year, boy, we haven't, we haven't really even seen it. And last year, when they started doing that whole, oh, we're going to run Adrian Martinez and Luke McCaffrey kind of game going, well, Luke McCaffrey's gone, and it is... This Nebraska offense, they – I was trying to break it down, and, and they get a lot of yards. They're just not very efficient. They're not really good at punching it in. They're not really good at turning it into points. Um, Scott Frost lit it up at UCF. He was from the offensive staff at Oregon. You know, we've, we've looked at, again, Adrian Martinez as somebody that could be a real difference maker. Wandale Robinson's gone. Man, like, no, like we didn't get J.D. Spielman – I mean, this Cornhuskers team, I, I look at them this spring and I am looking for hope. And honestly, like I, I wrote a, a little like spring questions piece for cbssports.com and I gave a whole item. I was like, yo, can I get a vibe check? Can, can I see how are Nebraska fans feeling? Like this is the passionate fan base that sells out the stadium when you can have full fans in the stadium, but like sells out the stadium no matter what's going on. Um, Man, yeah, I just, I'm, I don't see a lot of hope. I'm I'm looking for for things to hold on to right now for Nebraska football because it it seems to be a team that is floundering uh, in like not even thoroughly the middle but like the lower middle of the Big Ten. I see signs for hope. It's the problem is there are still very dark clouds hovering above them because if you watch this team last year one of the problems i felt that they had in the first years of the frost area uh defensively they were getting killed up front they could not stop the run teams are running all over them last year they made significant improvement 
against the run. They did a much better job, and I feel like they were heading in the right direction. And they've got a lot of players coming back from that defense this year. I think that the next step is to get a better pass rush and create a little more chaos because they weren't very disruptive. They were able to limit you as far as keeping in big plays, I think, from what I saw against the run. They did a much better job of that, but you still they, they still have work to do. The offensive line, I didn't think was that bad last year. I thought a lot of the problems that they had on offense were the quarterback position. I don't know that the quarterback position has improved at all going into 2021. I don't think the offense improves by losing Wandale Robinson. So it's like for every step forward, I see there's a couple step backs and a couple other areas of concern. And then just if we don't even look at the roster, and this is more of a season preview than a spring thing, but just like if you look at their 2021 schedule, they've got a non-conference game at Oklahoma. Mm. Their draw from the East is at Michigan State, Michigan, and Ohio State. They get Wisconsin on the road. They get Minnesota on the road. I look at this situation for Nebraska where I think that this team is going to be better this year, but I just think there's too many flaws, and that schedule is somewhat of a monster. And I'm just like, man, they might be better and still be five and seven, and everybody might still want Scott Frost fired. I could see that. I I think there's some some reasons for optimism here, but there's also quite a few reasons for pessimism. I, it's important that we exercise patience with coaches hired in the early signing period era because we are seeing continuously here that the vast majority of these recruiting classes, whether it's Dan Mullins, who is doing a really good job at Florida, or Willie Taggart, who's already fired at Florida State, these first recruiting classes they signed suck. Their attrition rates are over 50% almost across the board. A lot of these guys are no longer there. So, you know, that, that class of, 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 you know, of, uh, of 2018 that they signed, you know, that you'd expect to be your seniors. And then, and really, because of, of how the early signing period worked out, it really affected the 2019 class as well because so many teams were working ahead and these, these new staffs in the early period were behind the eight ball. Their 2019 classes aren't, aren't really turning out to be much. Nebraska took a lot of chances on kids from Florida and the Southeast that other schools in the Southeast had real questions about, either character-wise or academically, right? And if they if it worked out, great. But if it didn't, yeah, you know, and a lot of those dudes lasted a semester, two semesters, three semesters, and they bounced. So I think it, like their, their level of talent on this team athletically does not reflect what they signed on signing day because a lot of those guys who were the better athletes in those classes are no longer there. Um, or hell, sometimes they didn't qualify at all. So I think you have that that issue to deal with. Wandale is a huge problem. I mean, he was their best offensive player by a mile. He actually had more catches than all of their other starters combined <laughs> and as many targets as their top three tar- other guys combined. Now, they bring in some good transfers. I, th- I think Samari Toure from Montana is somebody who's a pretty proven receiver. Oliver Martin from Iowa, we'll see. They just couldn't hit explosive plays last year at all. I mean, they were 123rd in passing explosiveness. That's pretty bad um but defensively i feel like they're i think they could take a step forward defensively like we you know talk talk about scott frost and why his offenses aren't killing it but defensively i think there's some stuff here like they i think your linebackers will be better um they had a pretty decent defensive line last year at times and it should have more depth this year last year they got a little bit lucky with staying super healthy i think they'll have better depth there this year i, I think they could take a step forward be pretty good along both lines of scrimmage, and um, I they could have a winning record. Yeah, I, I don't think it's that crazy. Um, 
Defense has been steadily improving. Uh, 5.96 yards per play in 2019 versus the Big Ten. Cut that down to 5.46 in 20. Nine starters back, as you mentioned. Um, I have concerns about Adrian Martinez, clearly. But, like, it's more of a – like, you remember the Chris Ricks era at Florida State? where he was a four-year starter and just never really saw improvement and kind of just held the program where it was, kind of held it down. I feel like that's what's happening here. You can't pin it all in one position, but it is the most important position of the game. And I actually remember the game. What game was it where the, um, McCaffrey came in and like looked like a little bit of a spark? But then when Adrian Martinez decides to come back, Luke McCaffrey decides to bounce – and then you're like, all right, well, what other options are there? And it kind of looks like it's going to be another year of Adrian Martinez. Like, I don't, I just think it's going to be more the same for Scott Frost. And then and it was interesting. Was it Tom? It was you that said everyone wants Scott Frost fired again. I don't, I think there's very much a split fraction in Lincoln because you've got the tried and true. Big Red, we go every week, we support him, our guys, he's one of our guys, and probably they, they're in the crew that probably were really you know, faithful and said, let's even give him an extension, you know, which mm-hmm. still kind of boggles my mind why that happened. But, but then there's an, probably another vocal faction. It's just, it's a weird spot, and they're living in the 90s and thinking we can recapture some of that magic. You talk about tough places to recruit, like – it's actually pretty impressive. You could go down to Florida and get some players to go to Lincoln from there. But I don't know. I, I remember talking to some Big Ten fans and saying, hey, when was a realistic expectation of when Nebraska could compete for, you know, back in the glory days? Well, let's just say Big Ten championships. And I said, well, obviously, I think Ohio State owns the conference. I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon, if at all unless Ohio State had a massive setback. But the good news is that the Big Ten West, we've seen other teams cycle through. We've seen Minnesota get close. We've seen um, Northwestern, you know, win it a couple times. We've seen Iowa win it. Like, it's kind of wide open uh, in the West. So you guys, you know, within three years, I think you should be getting closer. Well, the time has come, and we haven't even seen them scratch, you know, get anywhere near close enough. So I'm starting to get a little bit more worried about Scott Frost and Nebraska and what direction they go. Like, they have to see improvement. They have to. And if yeah. Is firing Scott Frost an admission of, of, of programs, like reset limitations and expectations? Like, if, you, if Scott Frost doesn't work out there, is it Nebraska making an admission about, about what they can be? Maybe. I mean, I, I think that you'd have to look at it. I think, I think it's definitely one of those look in the mirror moments if that's what it comes to. But like you mentioned, Danny, like the fan base, and it's weird. This is anecdotal because I got I got a notification today that today was like my twelfth year anniversary on Twitter, which is terrifying to think of. <laughs> but I just think of when Nebraska first joined the Big Ten and like interacting with the Nebraska fans over the years. I've been on Twitter and on social media. And the complete sea change in their attitudes then to where they are now. Like it is just like gradually, like you know, when you're in a hospital room and there's like a chart that says, you know, your level of pain one to 10 and it's got like the smiley face for zero and it gradually <laughs> yes. gets worse as you get closer to 10. 
that has been my interactions with Nebraska fans on social media over the last 10 years. It's just every single year, it's gradually getting worse and worse and worse. And they're approaching like that 10, like they used to be some of the happiest, like most optimistic fans I'd ever dealt with. And now they're just kind of like jaded beyond belief. So this like single results, I think in college football do matter like for fans, you know, like being able to just have one really good win. That is something that like fans can hang on to. It doesn't always like change your program, but in the last three years, three teams, excuse me, since the East West split, three teams have won the big 10 West. It's Wisconsin. It's Northwestern. It's Iowa. Those three teams have big 10 West titles. Three other teams in the Scott Frost era have top 10 wins. That would be Minnesota, Purdue, and Illinois. Nebraska in the Scott Frost era does not have a top 10 win, does not have a Big Ten West title. Like, even like Illinois, Purdue, Minnesota, like, no, you're, you're not up there in that top tier, but you at least get that one game a year that's like, ooh, we can play with anybody. What's Nebraska's best win? I don't know. Like I just remember I, they almost beat Ohio State. Yeah, <laughs> they, they had a close game with Ohio State. I think that's the biggest win of the Scott Frost era. And that was in year one, it, and yeah. it was almost beating Ohio State. I mean, that's I just it, I think Scott Frost, in terms of the fan base, in terms of the sort of like anecdotal feeling vibes, like just get one really good win. I think that it would at least uh, be be a big thing to change sort of the the way the conversation goes. All right, Purdue two and four. I here's a here's an interesting pitch about Purdue. So um, Jeff Brom comes in, and you know you get the, the obviously they they have at that top ten win, the win against uh, Ohio State back in 2018. So you get the win against Ohio State. Rondale Moore is one of college football's biggest stars. I I feel like um, I'm looking at this. I'm, I'm looking at an offense that has uh, let's see. We got Jack Plummer, Aiden O'Connell, Austin Burton. Like, I guess I, I don't, none of those jump out to me as like, boom, difference maker. Let's go. So we're watching. We're watching this quarterback competition. We're watching to see you know, what kind of uh, skill position talent you can get. No one's going to replace Rondell Moore at all. But, you know, what is it going to matter? Like, who is going to matter in terms of winning those jobs and being a real difference maker? We've got a new coordinator on the defensive side of the ball. I feel like this is a, a big time reset year for the Purdue Boilermakers. So I'm, I'm coming in with a ton of questions uh, about that group. Yeah. I, and it's strange because I thought like it wasn't good. Don't get me wrong, but I thought like last year's Purdue defense might've been the best defense I'd seen Purdue play in the Brom era. I mean, George Karloftis is awesome. Like we should, yeah. and he's back. Like he's going to be one of the best defensive linemen in the entire big 10. Yeah. And I think that kind of, covers up a lot of flaws. I still think that defense has a lot of question marks and you see like the way that Purdue hit the transfer market this off season. Like that's something Brom has done. Like when he first got there, they brought in a ton of transfers on defense and it wasn't a good defense, but it wasn't horrible. And I think they're kind of trying to take that approach again this year. They brought in CJ McWilliams from Florida. They brought in Joseph Anderson, a defense fan from South Carolina, Octavius brothers, a linebacker from Auburn. And I think that they're hoping they can help fill some holes behind Karloftis to round it out. But we've seen it's like playing the transfer portal roulette can be kind of a problem for you if you get too heavily reliant on it and you're not developing your own guys defensively. And I do think that Purdue needs to take a step forward on that side of the ball if it's really going to compete in the West. But on the offensive side of the ball, 
Uh, just get the ball into David Bell's hands as much as possible and get the hell out of the way. I think that should be route one. And then also that offensive line in it. I think the big 10 West offensive lines were generally pretty mediocre to bad last year. And Purdue was the worst by a long shot. That offensive line was very bad last year. And one of their best players, Grant Hermans was their left tackle. Probably the best guy on that line. He's gone. So that's going to be interesting to me because they couldn't run the ball to save their lives. They weren't getting any kind of real push. It was just, it was a nightmare for them on offense. It's like their offense really was just throw it up to David Bell, let him go into triple coverage over three guys, pull the ball down and we'll get a first down that way. And, you know, cause Rondell Moore was out for most of the season too. And I think that with, if less the offensive line improves, that's going to be their only real route to success either. And it's hard to win consistently only relying on one player to do everything for you. So it's, it's a big off season. I think, I think we need to see some development up front. I think we need to see that defensive line with a lot of new faces likely kind of gel and get into the system and get ready going into the summer and fall. So that way when the season starts, everybody kind of has their role and knows what they're supposed to do. And we could see some further improvement there just to help out overall, because I do think that improvement on defense raises the floor for Purdue, but it's still all going to come down to the offense. I think this could be a bowl team. Seriously. Um, I mean, looking at these guys, I, honestly, like Plummer and O'Connell were, were not that bad. And I, I think Jeff Brom is an excellent offensive coach. Rondell Moore didn't play that much last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, he only had 44 targets. That's just, like, yeah, it sucks to lose a player of his caliber, but you're not losing a ton of production. He only had 270 total yards. So, like, if you factor that in, it's like, yes, it'd be nice to have Rondell Moore, but, like, it's not like they depended on Rondell Moore last year a whole lot. I think the offensive line probably will be better, just with, with more continuity and, and, and hopefully better health. Uh, I, You know, Horvath's not a bad back there. And, you know, defensively, I, I think losing Derek Barnes – who was one of the better linebackers in, in, in the Big Ten is kind of a big deal. But, man, other than that, God, like, they get everybody back. This is one of those teams where it's like they're very – kind of everybody of consequence back. And I think you'll get more snaps out of Karloftis. I mean, how many, how many sacks – like, he, he was he was out a good bit last year. How many, how many sacks did he actually have? He did not have a great season what, as far two as production-wise. Yeah. I mean, he was like, you could see when you were watching Purdue games, the other team's offensive plan for was, all right, he's going to have two guys on him at all times minimum, and we'll see if anybody else there can do anything. And it was effective. And he wasn't on the field that much. I mean, he only rushed, mm-hmm. like, assuming this, this data is right, he only rushed 68 times. Like, that, that actually, like, the sack rate, the 3%, is actually not that bad. He just needs to stay on the field more, and especially other people can step up maybe if he's getting doubled and tripled like he was, you know, as Tom said. Four guys trying to play quarterback. That's my biggest concern. You know, that's a massive battle that's going to take place. Um, third defensive coordinator in three years, Brad Lambert is. I, I talked to him when I covered uh, Marshall. Did a few of their games. Really good guy. Had Marshall's defense top in the conference and Conference USA. So I think he's pretty um, creative. I think he'll come in with a scheme that'll try to create some more havoc for Purdue. I just I don't know if I could go out there as much with the questions at quarterback. If somebody emerges from there that's pretty good uh, with David Bell, then yeah, I think maybe they could, you know, have some fun, have some success. But I just I don't know. I don't know if I'm quite as confident, bud. All right. Wait, do you you got a response? I, I think this team like their win total over under for Vegas will probably be like five, you know, but I, I if it's four and a half, I'm I'm snapping up some overs. 
the Illinois Fighting Illini. Tom? Take it away, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, there's... It's, it's a coaching change, whole new staff. I think that this spring there's, you know, it's, it's not as much a question of the personnel because I think that just about everybody's back. Like if you look at Connolly's production rankings, like they're really low on defense, but Connolly did those before it was announced that Jake Hansen, their leading tackler at linebacker last year was coming back. And I think that probably changes the calculus a bit on that. And it's just, I think the biggest question for me for Illinois going into on the offensive side of the ball, there's two because offensive line Illinois last year, I feel like in the conference was probably one of the better offensive lines. I don't think it was an elite unit, but I thought they were very good there. And I think that they're losing a couple like in Kendrick green, they're losing one of the better parts of their offensive line. He's gone, but everybody else is back. So I, I think that that'll still be good. I think at quarterback, it'll be interesting to see because I thought Brandon Peters played well enough in the offense that they ran under Rod Smith, which was very much, you know, like kind of the rich rod. Cause that's where Rod Smith came from. He's coached with rich Rodriguez for his whole career. And it's that kind of spread offense that, that run heavy spread and Brandon Peters wasn't, isn't a running quarterback. So they kind of modified it a bit, but I think going into what they're probably going to do this year, which is going to be more RPO heavy, but also still very much kind of the big beefy boy that we're used to seeing from bet Bielema teams over the course of his career. I think Brandon Peters is probably a better fit for that. And I think that he's likely to be the starter, though the coaches are pitching it that it is Brandon Peters and Isaiah Williams, who is a former five-star recruit that showed up in Illinois. as one of the big wins recruiting-wise for them in the Lovey Smith era. But I think he was a much better fit for the old offense. And I don't know how he's going to fit as a quarterback in this new one. So that's going to be interesting to watch. I think offensively, they lose Josh Imaturbebe, who at his pro day the other day, I think he had a 48-inch vertical. And he was a huge part of the offense of just chuck the ball up, let him go get it. So he's going to be difficult to replace. And I worry about Illinois at the receiver spot because I don't know that there's a truly proven playmaker there ready for them to take over and help that offense. And on the defensive side of the ball, they lose a couple guys in the secondary, I think, are important. Nate Hobbs, I think, has an NFL draft potential. He's gone. And I'm interested in seeing Marquez Beeson, who was another very highly rated recruit, from Texas who came in tore his ACL before his freshman season. And then going into last year, you could see that he wasn't still really a hundred percent at the beginning of the year. And he was kind of still learning. I'd like to see him if he's at a hundred percent, what kind of impact he could have on that defense. Cause I think that most like Barton would talk about him too, that he's, he's a, he's a good talent. He's a very talented kid who could have a major impact and could have an NFL future. So I think if he's capable of playing that helps the Illini in the secondary, I think up front, the defensive line has a lot of inexperience, but potential. I think linebacker, they're fine. So I, I, I think this is a team where it's mostly going to be, adjusting to new schemes, adjusting to a new coaching staff, and just kind of figuring out what you have. But it's also a veteran team with a lot of super seniors. I think they've got more super seniors than any other team in the country. So I I don't have super high expectations for them. I think that I think there's a coaching improvement from the last staff as far as game day coaching. I think we're going to see an improvement there, which I think raises the floor a little bit. It's just I don't think it raises the floor to this is suddenly going to be a six and six, seven and five team. I think that's within the range of possibilities. And if everything goes well, but I still think this is going to be kind of like a year one situation for a coaching staff where they're just going to be trying to put the foundation down for what they want to do going forward. 
I'll I'll take under five and a half if you want over five and a half. No, I don't. Their total is probably going to be set at three and a half, don't you think? No, I think it'll be higher than that. Yeah, they, they, they got some wins in the non-conference. And they also get Rutgers out of the East. That's that's the matchup of the year right there. That's key. I mean, that's... Hey, that's, yeah. that's I think Rutgers accounted for about 25% of Levy Smith's Big Ten wins. <laughs> but you got I, that and, top and, 10 win. <laughs> right. And listening to the uh, the Illinois Inquirer podcast, you know, shout out Jeremy, they totally echo Tom's concerns about the receiver position. They, they think that is really tough. Yeah. Um, and then they also have some some pretty big concerns about the offensive line. Not quite as big, but I I see this team as a team that is probably really going to struggle to score points. And I'm pretty sure everybody else in the West this year will be a lot better offensively than them. So I I, I could see this team you know being kind of salty defensively, but losing a lot of games like you know, 34 to 20, just teams pulling away, them being unable to, to, you know, to keep, not, not like giving up 50, but, you know, just losing a couple games by, you know, two scores like that. I, um, I don't know. I'm interested to see what they do. I like the defensive coordinator hire of Ryan Walters. I think they'll recruit better. I'm willing to believe that Bielema has changed some, you know, with, with his time under Belichick, but personnel wise, I think they're really going to struggle to score. It's it's a fun contrast because we talked on the Big Ten East show about how Michigan's new defensive coaching staff is very young and it doesn't have anybody with previous coordinator experience. Meanwhile, Bielema has brought in a defensive coaching staff where I think there are four guys who have been defensive coordinators before. Do you feel good about their corners, Tom? Uh, if Beeson, if Beeson can live up to his recruiting potential, I think that's huge. I think losing Hobbs is big because like yeah. – I think he was a very talented player who was put in a lot of tough spots based on the scheme that he was being put in. And I don't think it really was a great fit for him, but I do think he's a talented player. I, I do have concerns at corner. Yes. One of the criticisms of, of Walters, and I think he's a hell of a recruiter. I think he's a pretty good coach was that at Missouri, he put a lot on, on Missouri's corners. And, you know, if Illinois didn't have the guys to do that, I'm interested to see how he adjusts. He is Bud Elliott. You can follow him on Twitter at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Coming up, we've got mail bags, so make sure that you go on, leave that five-star review, include your question. It'll get added to the big old bad bag of mail and tackled in a future mail bag episode. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>